Well, hello and welcome to the Fremont Podcast. This is that bunker special episode. Yeah, that's right. Hold up in the bunkers on both coasts, East Coast and West Coast. Quarantine. Yes. That's right. We got quarantine French blend going up over right. here in the West that's Coast. Right. A little bit of almond milk, you know, because they don't even sell cow milk out here. It's that's illegal. Right. And I have 1,000 rolls of toilet paper in my backyard. Ah, uh, Getting see. ready. For real? You no, stocked no. up? I have a normal practice of uh, ordering toilet paper on Amazon, and it timed. That's it got right. timed perfectly. Like, my last shipment came in, and then it went all nuts like three days later, so I'm good. Oh, good we for will. you. We don't got to be using leaves over here. We're all right. We, we have one coming in tomorrow. <laughs> well, yeah, I did, I did my Amazon a little late, so they're on that back order, but they're, they're, I'm supposed to get a couple in <laughs> right. next week. I staggered it. That's it. All right, well, before we get too deep <laughs> into it, I staggered it, we want to thank our all-time sponsor, Impact 360. We've been yes. talking about, in the last mm-hmm. couple of episodes, their gap year program. I just want to tell you guys what it's about. First of all, you know, I've had so many people coming up to me, parents of teenagers and even younger, even students that are like 10, 11, 12 years old, and they have serious questions about their faith. They're struggling with doubt, and they don't even know how to differentiate truth. You know, and they're just clearly being indoctrinated by the world. And one of the most important things we can do as Christians and especially as parents, and, you know, if you're listening to this and, you know, you're in your uh, teens or younger, Impact 360, not only do they have the camps we've talked about, but they actually now have a gap year program made for students between high school and college. So if you have someone that's graduating high school this year, they can actually go into a gap year program with Impact 360. And they will have extraordinary training from some of the best apologists in the world, the best teachers, and they will have a solid foundation on truth, on worldview, on the Christian biblical ethics. And it's just an incredible way for them to be able to then launch into college and in their jobs afterwards. And they'll be fully equipped to be able to engage with culture and engage with the doubts that maybe even their friends have, and they'll be prepared. And so we encourage you, check out their program at impact360.org. Check out that Gap Year program, and they have an awesome deal for your Fremont listeners. that will actually waive the application fee. And so if you want to apply uh, either yourself or for your child, your students, use that promo code FREEMIND, and they will waive the application fee for that Gap Year program. So check it out, impact360.org. Well, today we're going to talk about, <laughs> I was trying to make a joke, something that's totally out of the ordinary. Like we're going to talk about handing out tracks. That's <laughs> <laughs> free mind. The four fundamental laws. Of, that's right. We're, we're holding a hell, a hell bound. Uh, so we're going to go back to that column. Youth group hell bound on the street. Yes. It, it's all about the coronavirus. You catch it at the beginning and it shows what happens to you <laughs> by the end. So we got to do it. We got to <laughs> I could tell us it's gonna be bad. See, we haven't had Brother Robles in a little while here. It's been a minute. It's been a while. We we had to do we did that NRB, um, and I actually was running around. I didn't even have Nerva on those, and so it was funny, man, because we put out the the airplane. You know, Christians need to go to Israel, right? Right Well, (laughs) right when this coronavirus thing happened, so I was like, well. Um, and you know, think about it. <laughs> and they, they were one of the first ones to lock down too. So the timing was not not so It's for so next year. People got to save but, up um, and they go next year. Exactly. Exactly. So we got to talk about it, man. It's, the, it's coronavirus time. And there's so much serious stuff to talk about. But man, I, we should just tell some jokes because... I know, man. We got to keep it light, you know. Whitney and I were talking about how people process what's going on. And I think adults now process by memes. I think that's the only way you could do it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. But uh, there was this joke... You know, the World Health Organization, they actually declared that dogs cannot contract the coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus. So they're totally safe. And so they said, you can, you're allowed to, you know, take your dogs on walks, go outside. And so just so everyone's clear, who let the dogs out? Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> that's a terrible joke. It's a terrible joke. It's not my joke. It's been around the internet. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um. That was pretty bad, but it does remind me of the Seinfeld episode where Kramer caught the the cough from the dog. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw that one. Oh yeah, but he had to go. He he was trying to find the veterinarian because the normal human medicine wouldn't work. So oh, maybe maybe gosh. that's the kind of you know life is Seinfeld basically. Right. That's every, every I always have a Seinfeld Absolutely. reference for everything, but he covered it in, in a prophetic voice back in the what was it nineties. Right. Right. But um yeah man it's 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 been crazy. I saw that you also so a lot of the church services we're we're recording this on Sunday. We were supposed to do it yesterday so um i'd actually just got up from a nap 
So I, I might have that morning voice going on. You might have to run, run me through a high pass filter. <laughs> right. But we did get up this morning. We we did online services. I know you guys did too, as Florida. You said uh, it kind of t- put put the systems to the test, right? Absolutely. Did, did y'all did did it struggle? Did it did it mess? Like what what did it do today? What did it do for sure? So you know it was crazy because last week I think it was Thursday. Everything was up in the air, and every church was kind of putting out statements all over the country, but especially in our immediate area in Florida, we're saying we're going to do services. We'll take all the precautions, you know, we'll have hand sanitizer everywhere, but we're still going to have church. And then multiple states, including the governor of Florida on Thursday, said, listen, we're not banning them, but we highly recommend people do not gather in groups of 1,000 or over. Some states said 250 and over. And even states like Washington here in America actually banned gatherings over 250. So if you actually were to gather, over 250 people, authorities would break it up. Uh, that's how strict it was being. And so then we had to make the call. You know, we could, it wasn't a ban, you know, where it's under a thousand people per service. So what do we do? And I mean, I'll tell you, every pastor at every church, I think, was was talking with elders and, and local authorities to see what was going on. So we made the call and many other churches did to go all online. So we had no physical services like many churches this weekend. And everyone was expecting, like, this is going to put every system to the test. You know, when you stream live from a church, there's so many points of failure from your your internet service provider, so the internet that's coming in the building, the machines that are pushing out the video, whatever service you use to host your live stream, whether that's livestream.com or whether that's churchstreaming.tv, and then also, like, the people. And um, Spectrum and Frontier, at least here in Central Florida, they were expecting some insane amount of traffic, like 10,000 plus times. Why is my dog barking? Charlie. Is that your corona-free uh, <laughs> you let the dog, dog in the back barking there, bro? <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. So they were expecting something like 10,000 times the normal bandwidth being used this weekend. Oh, wow. Uh, because, you know, it escalated so quickly. It was like... Life is normal on Wednesday, and then it's like people quarantine yourselves. You know, it's kind of you know do, and so just with the people streaming Netflix mm-hmm. and watching stuff from yeah. home, plus all the church stuff, it was like this is going to be a crazy moment to see like what point breaks, like what point of failure is going to be the linchpin. Mm-hmm. And so we stream as the church. Mm-hmm. We stream to churchstreaming.tv, mm-hmm. which is a service, and we also stream to Facebook and YouTube. The latter two obviously accustomed to a huge volume of of data and users but church streaming it was during our 10:30 service okay. our highest viewed and normally our highest attended service on a weekend that churchstreaming.tv started failing and i noticed that the video was not on the website people were saying oh, we can't wow. see it and so i went to their website and it was like all red you know it's like we got errors on bandwidth we got errors on this and so i had to switch what video was being embedded YouTube was staying strong. Again, infrastructure-wise, YouTube's going to have the one of the best. And so we went to the YouTube stream for that service, and it was fine. But but it was clear. And, man, it was so interesting. I had several people start contacting me Thursday evening, like, tell us how to live stream. You know, smaller churches that have never live streamed before uh, wanted to know, like, can we actually get this done by Sunday? And, you know, I gave I gave people equipment wow. suggestions, and it was amazing. <laughs> Some of the video switchers that I recommend were sold out by Friday afternoon. I would I would recommend a piece of equipment, and the dudes would hit me up, wow. and they'd be like, it's, "I had a stock till late April," and it's like people, it's just people just buying it up. Did you give them the? You, did you give them the? You should have been building the art <laughs> speech. <laughs> you know, you can't rub it in at that moment. Sorry, bro. The, the door is wow. shut. We rolling eight deep, and that's it. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy that waterfront. You can't wait till it starts drizzling. You got to do it now. That's but, right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I had one. I had one uh, friend that they actually bought all the equipment. They were going to try it, and then they texted me this morning, early on Sunday, and they were like, "Bro, it's not working." And I said, "Well, you got to do a bandwidth test. You know, how fast is that internet?" And they were pulling down that less than one megabyte a second. I said, "Brother." Ooh. Yikes. Ain't that ain't going to get you that dock download. <laughs> it ain't going to happen, <laughs> bro. So, man, it was interesting. It was it was frantic for a lot of people, but uh, we had over 10,000 people 
see our live stream at least for a time today. Yeah, that's cool. So, and churches everywhere did it. Uh, you know, Church of the Highlands in Alabama with Pastor Chris Hodges, they waited till like last, last minute to make the call. Mm. Because wow. they were all day Friday and all day Saturday, like, we're doing this, come to mm. church. And it wasn't until Saturday at like 5 p.m. where Chris Hodges released a video and he was like, we can't do it. You know, it's just Saturday? local authorities wow. and the guidance. And even if nothing were to happen or... You know, even if it might be fine, you know, you get one person mm-hmm. that yeah. finds out you have, they have coronavirus and they attended your service with a thousand other people. Oh, that's you know, t- it's not going to be good. It looks uh, irresponsible. It's an interesting time. It is a unique time, man. You know, that's what we've been just kind of like, like what is going on in the yeah. world? You know, it's there's so many, so many different angles to look at this and. We don't, you know, bring, obviously we don't bring any expertise from the medical field (laughs) into this, No. but we're just kind of, you know, we're like everybody else probably that's listening to this lay people that are trying to, uh, trying to wade through the fake news and figure out if there's some true kernels here and there. But it's funny because, you know, there was one of, one of the things is the nature of news is just, and has been for, you know, probably, I don't know, as long as it's been around, but it's been, you know, I think Dallas Willard, you say the number one commandment of news is get read or get seen. Mm-hmm. And right. so, you know, it be it becomes this thing where they're, they, by nature, they sensationalize everything. Obviously, they're going to try to hype things up. And, and then now you got 24-hour news cable programs. They have to fill it. They got sponsors that, you know, at all times, they need, they need, they need them to be doing stuff where people are going to turn it on and watch it. So obviously, that's going to create situations where no matter what place in the spectrum of ideology they're on, they're just going to be hyping stuff up and promoting it. Yeah. And so that, you know, it is what it is, but you add to that this kind of the TDS, Trump derangement syndrome that's that's in the media by and large, um, and then you get like this extra sensationalism. So not only do you have the normal media sensationalism, you have, they're going to tr- take everything that they can potentially use against him, and they're going to hype that up even more. Mm-hmm. And so I lo- uh, it was it was funny because Babylon B put this thing up. And they, they've been killing it, by the way. They've been bringing so much truth and comedy together. It's just, I, I don't know. They just got, they got that anointment right now, bro. But uh, they said it was the, the title. It was CNN, and it said, um, it said, media that hypes everything is a crisis, shocked that no one listens when actual crisis arrives. Wow. Listen. Yeah. And that's part of the problem is like, you know, if it's funny because if you look up, you know, even if you hate Trump or like him, whatever, if you look up Trump uh, media bombshell, they'll play like, I don't know if it's like three to eight minutes of this is a bombshell. This is the beginning of the end, the beginning of the right. end, the beginning right. of the end. This is a bombshell, you know, and they're saying, you know, this is the thing that's going to take him down. And, and they've been doing that from the beginning. So when they add this mm-hmm. to that, it's like it becomes another one of those monotonous courses that you can't you feel like you can't trust. And so the the immediate reaction, I think, from a lot of people was like, uh, you know, this doesn't seem special. And I don't, you know, so all three of us, we, we were there for Hurricane Irma, right, in Florida. Right. And I've lived, I, how many hurricanes have you been there through now, Stephen? A lot, because I was here in 2004, actually a Southeastern, and that was when the big three came through. And that was... Yeah, yeah, all in one year, right? Right, all in one year. So I've been through a number. Ever since then, man, like... It's kind of funny now, you know, all the memes that come out when hurricanes come in, you know, category five, Floridians on the beach drinking pina colada. It's like, whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're just doing it. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. No, for sure. And Nerva, that was your first Hurricane Irma. Yeah, it was. It By the time it reached us, it was like a three or a two. I mean, yeah, it, maybe it a two was, or one even. Yeah, okay. It was kind of... Spooky from our first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, you know, when you've never done it before, it's kind of like the lights yeah. cut off for like, I think Absolutely. 30 minutes or 45 minutes and, and the wind's howling. Right. But, you know, like basically nothing happened. Like you had trees down, you had, you know, and there's been times where it runs through like, um, I forget what was it, Andrew, uh, when I was a kid through Miami area and that one hit it that. like going across at like a five and it destroyed um, less, you know, kind of less substantial houses. But for the most part, you know, every year, like every hurricane that starts out, like way out in the, uh, I forget, it's the tropics or wherever it mm-hmm. is, at the beginning of it, you see all these models 
and they're they're hyping it up like twenty four seven. Right, hurricanes are coming. Hurricanes are coming. And if you have lived in Florida, it's a spe- it's it's exactly like Stephen was saying, like people drinking pina coladas on the beach because <laughs> you realize by this point what's right. going on. For the most part, the chances that it's actually gonna come to fruition like that and that it's going to come through just the thing just the you know right massive thing and hit like that like it did the bahamas really this year yeah the chances are low but it does happen and so you know for the most point most part you kind of learn to just we'll wait and see you know Mm -hmm. because those models always change and i feel like with this virus we're kind of like not the very beginning phase of those hurricane trajectories right. but kind of like early on and so you got models covering all sorts of areas and you just don't know is it going to turn up and go east is it going to go go out into the gulf and and we're we're in one of those wait and see we just we really can't right. tell at this point there's a lot of uncertainty i saw one person say Listen, I need an update every four hours, and I need a cone of uncertainty for this virus. Because <laughs> like, that's what you get in that hurricane. You get an update every four hours where that trajectory changes, and then you get that cone. But The cone of yeah. uncertainty. No, I, that's... Which is yeah. funny, but it, it does... It rings true because when you look at that world right now, I mean, two countries are on full lockdown. Italy and Spain, just earlier today, are okay. on like complete that. quarantine. And that is something that I had never even heard of or had experienced right. even in the previous diseases that have struck. And I follow a lot of the technology news and there were a lot of developer conferences coming up in May and June with thousands of people. That includes Apple. They have their worldwide developers conference where like 6,000 people come from all over the world. And everyone was wondering like, what is going to happen? Is this going to be the first year in like 30 years that these technology companies cancel these events, and they did. Apple, Google, Facebook, the game conferences, they all went completely online. And Apple, even yesterday, closed every Apple store in America. So you wow. cannot go to any Apple store in America right now because it is all closed. And just wow. seeing seeing the extreme length that is happening, even when it doesn't seem like it's spreading so far in America just yet, it creates a tremendous sense of unease. And you wonder, like, is it going to be like Italy that's completely under quarantine? And what does that even mean? If your country is, you know, can you even get out and get groceries if you need to? So I get it. Yeah, I would have appreciated um, just information on the reason why it spread so far and so thick in Italy and countries like that compared to our nation you know what do we expect the same thing or because it happened there it can happen anywhere and I'm sure that there are reasons but there was such a wide spectrum of it's the beginning of the end every this is going to spread it's going to be all over the place to y'all are freaking out would y'all calm down and these are from doctors and so when you compare the stats of last year and how many people um, were affected by the flu virus and you compare that to right now I mean, there's a, just a vast difference of reaction. <laughs> and you're like, why is this virus way more um, deadly? And, and I, don't, I don't know that that is the case. But I am, I'm, I am heartbroken by the deaths that have happened and, and all that. But the pandemonium, I mean, when you have major companies, major industries, the education system, government, Everything, and I just got off the phone with my sister, and they just in Illinois um, issued a closing down of all the restaurants and bars, and they're asking restaurants right, to right. only do deliveries. Yeah, and I'm like, wow. So this 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 here this that, right here is something I've never seen. Yeah. So exactly. That's I've and that's the kind it. of you know last week when I first started looking at, it, I just you know I was like, oh, it's probably fake news, mm-hmm. and. Even Ryan Baumberger on his uh, Facebook post, I'm just looking at this here. He said, coronavirus, this is last Wednesday he posted this. Coronavirus in U.S. as of 3-11-20, uh, last Wednesday, was 647 confirmed cases, okay. 25 deaths. I think now it's up to maybe 90 deaths, unfortunately. Oh, okay. But um, he said, response, panic, shutdown, hysteria. He said, flu season in the U.S. as of 3-11-20, 34 million cases, estimated 20,000 deaths. Response, ho-hum. And that's interesting, 20,000 deaths just this year compared to that. Um, And that's, so at first, I think that was one of the reactions is like, man, why 
is this blowing up? Is this just like a political thing on, you know, it is a political thing, but is it merely that on, on the media and on social media and what people are promoting? Tom Hanks gets it. And you know, he's notably kind of, you know, leftist guy ideologically. He, and and you're like, Hmm, what's going on here? Is this just to promote that? But then, um, like you just mentioned, Stephen, comp- companies like that, the NBA right. decides to suspend their season. We know that you know they've they've aligned themselves with a lot of kind of leftist politicians lately and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do feel like at the end of the day, for them, money is one of the main things. So that them losing that money makes you think, well, maybe there's more to it. And then a lot of conservative people started coming out and saying, we need to take this seriously. Not sure. Nigel Farage. Uh, he he kind of uh, led the Brexit uh, thing in the UK, okay. real conservative guy, and he was he was pleading with people on the news take this thing seriously. He had looking at what had happened in nor- nor- northern Italy in okay. Milan. Okay. He said, I think at the time, sixty or seventy percent of the people that had died from it there were actually sixty and under, oh, and wow. he okay. had. And he seemed to be a little bit panicked about it. Newt Gingrich was in Italy. He was writing some stuff on it. Take this seriously. Then even other uh, Daily Wire, uh, Ben Shapiro, he was taking it seriously. Plus the guy that that's over that, that's very conservative, Matt Walsh. He was like, man, we need to. Uh, he he said about himself, I had even been downplaying this. Uh, this is something. This is something we need to really. And and so the thought became this. They they weren't saying that it was impacting the u.s right now in a way that you know compared with the flu but what they were saying for for whatever reason if we weren't to respond like we have been responding they were looking at this bell curve and they said we got to flatten the curve of how fast people get sick so if they get sick we could have the hospital stuff and all the uh resources to handle that Otherwise, if it all happens like it, it has happened in these other nations, they were projecting that, you know, certain mathematical models were projecting that all these people getting sick at once right away would make it in a situation where they're having to say, no, you can't have treatment right. and oh, you can and, and yeah. kind of in a uh, like army type, you know, wartime situation. And they didn't want it to get like that. And they were projecting anywhere from, you know, a high number of thousands to millions um, of Americans potentially passing based on the stats. The latest stats of which I saw were like 3.4% of people that catch the virus uh, die from it. But th- but even that, they said, is really uncertain because the more people that get tested, they think that number will go down. Um, but as it stands, that's about, I guess, 30 percent higher rate of death in the flu which is like 0.1 percent or something like that so anyways that's that's kind of they're based on these mathematical models which are similar in that way that we mentioned to the hurricane models and so the the thing is like is this real is this are their models correct but a lot of people all over the ideological spectrum were starting to agree that we need to take this seriously as a as a potential devastating virus. And I think at that point I was like, okay, well maybe maybe this is something. Now, however, I will say Nerva and I just listened last night to Frank Turek's podcast. He has um uh cross examined or whatever. He has a really good podcast you should check out when you get a chance. But he interviewed a medical doctor who was over a major hospital in his area or somewhere in uh maybe I can't remember was it St. Louis, do you remember? Somewhere, and um, this guy's an apologist. He's real thoughtful. He really knows the the science medical field, and his he was even at this point, but on Friday when when they did the interview, after seeing Italy, after seeing Iran, all these things, he was saying, no, 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 this is being blown way out of proportion. And the only difference between this and flus in the past few years mm. is social media, mm. yeah, and the hype. So he he actually was going against kind of where a lot of people had moved and saying, no, 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 this is, this is just wash your hands, take precautions. But he disagreed with people shutting down churches, people shutting down basketball games. He said, this is basically group think and people are pressuring other people and then people see them doing it. So they do it. Uh, he thought it was unwarranted. So even at this point, I'm still, I'm, I'm still kind of at a loss, but it looks like something that better to be safe than sorry. Did you, what did you want yeah, to say? Yeah, he said better safe than sorry because we're living in a day and age. Let me try to paraphrase mm. that. Um, if you have a gathering and a person in your gathering 
catches it and spreads it and someone dies. You don't want to be the, the one responsible. And because there will be lawsuits and things like that, because we're living in that day and age, then you may want to definitely process and think about making wise choices, whether to have your event or not. Right. But based on just normal progressions of viruses and how they spread, he thought it was a complete overreaction. Yeah, he thought it was overblown. And he said... Frank asked him, "What well, if you were a bene- if you were a benevolent dictator? Yeah. What would you do?" And he said, "I would basically restrain litigation. I would mm, I would yeah. al- not allow them to sue people unless it's real malpractice. Sure. So that he said things would go on as normal. And because he said, in his view, he thought the greatest downside of this whole thing was going to be what if right. the economic impact. And he yeah. explained what was happening. He thought more people would actually die from that than the virus." Mm. Um, and that this wouldn't, you know, he, he also said this was interesting, which he said there have been many, the coronavirus has been around for years um, and it has slightly different forms between SARS and MERS. And this is just kind of the latest strand, right. but it's in the same family as those. And he also thought potentially by warm weather, it would, it would start yeah. to, to peter out by mid April. But, you know, so there you have it. Like there's, there's people kind of still all over the spectrum most i think now are leaning into the idea that this could be a a really bad deal they have officially laid it like uh, labeled it right. a pandemic the world health organization and others and so it it looks like i don't know and and i, I don't know if you saw this tweet Stephen, that neil put out the other day but he basically gave it the um yeah <laughs> pandemic pascal's wager so you know pascal blaze pascal he was uh you know some people call him the the father of the modern computer. He was a Christian, died at a young age, brilliant thinker. He wrote a book called Ponce, which is thoughts in French. Um, but he had a wager that said, basically, if it came down to it and you were, you know, 50, 50 on God's existence, you should bet on it because the upside is you get to be with him forever and enjoy heaven, enjoy his creation. The downside is, is that you miss out on him forever. Even if you have a good time for a little bit on earth, you know, that was his kind of, that's a really, really rough presentation. So Neil was saying with this disease, you know, maybe we should lean into the, the, the upside of being safe and doing all these measures is that we don't, get impacted by the disease in the way that some of the scarier mathematical models are suggesting. And the Dowd side is relatively small. However, some people did respond to that with some good responses. I thought that, man, if the downside has impacted the economy like it, like it has, that could end up being a really great downside. And what if the up, what if, what if the virus had been blown out of proportion, especially like through ill intentions, people trying to do stuff politically, you know, so I don't know. I don't know where I land even on that Pascal's wager, but I think at this point, um, it is what it is. They've already made the declarations they, they're putting stuff on lockdown. Um, and I think that kind of leads into well, what are we going to do with this? And, you know, just, I guess we could talk a little bit about the theology of, things like this and then how can we practically take advantage of this time as Christians? Did you have something you want to add for me? Yeah, I was was looking at some of the figures of Italy and how many people had caught the virus. And, you know, say for instance in a town or a city like Milan, say if 15,000 people were infected, that impact it would have on the hospitals to be be able to care for those people. And there's talk about... How many tests do we have? Are we equipped to handle? If we carry on as usual and it spreads like it did in other countries, would the hospitals and and the medical industry be able to handle treating these patients? So that is another thought too to to consider. If we trying to flatten the curve, which is basically the argument. For sure. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Well, um, you know, I I've been we've been kind of keeping up with different people all week and i think we could quickly touch on this breakpoint article that john stone street had put up this was i think a week ago and you know um one of the things that probably if you're listening to this at this point some of this stuff you will have already heard because it's kind of floating around internet and blogospheres and christian circles but you know they're saying stuff like one of the one of the diseases we know is a hundred percent causing of death is the sin disease you know And we know that 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 is true. Like that's we don't we don't typically respond to that. I was thinking about even 
how careful we are with stuff like this, but we're not careful with, with things like pornography mm. in our nation. Like we don't see how that causes ex- absolute detriment to our spiritual lives, to our families. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, it's such a devastating force for one. But one of the things that this has done is slowing everybody down and it's making us kind of reassess what's important. Mm. It's having us spend time with families again where we haven't, which is awesome. Like it was this Babylon B thing. It looked like the Waltons kind of sitting around the living room. And, you know, it in, in a sense, man, that could be a real blessing right now to be with family again, even parents having to homeschool their kids because they're shutting schools down. And, and I think one of them said, you know, parents complaining because yeah. they have to actually be parents again and teach their kids. And right. But yeah, you know, one it's it's just interesting that, you know, the government basically is over education now, mm. which in many ways is is terrible. And I mean, in many historically I, I don't know the the whole history of why it came back under the federal government to oversee that and then the local governments and all that stuff. But and I know there's probably good reasons for it, but um, at this point, the indoctrination that goes on, it's interesting that the kids are now being placed back at home. Mm. And I wonder what impact that could have in the future. It could be, I don't know, hopefully wow. hopefully positive right. um, to get them engaged. Yeah, talk about Neil again. You know, he homeschools his four kids, and he actually tweeted a link to all the parents who are freaking out about having their kids home for two weeks. Say, hey, here's all the tips that we homeschoolers do. Mm. And, uh, you know, wow. check that out. So. That's yeah, really I'll, cool. I'll put that link in the show notes. But even here in uh, Central Florida, Polk County schools canceled for two yeah. weeks. Wow. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, so Polk County school, even Southeastern went all online learning. They're having no mm-hmm. uh, in-person classes at Southeastern. Different. Wow. And you know, the timing of it all to have schools off as well as most of the workplaces. Right really causing families to spend time together for the next two weeks. I, I see that as, um, I see that as a huge opportunity for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at at first, you know, if it was one or the other, then, um, that'd be something, but to have families be families again and, you know, the time off, but I, I do, my heart does break for the, um, financial strain that that might have on the families, you know, and I, I, there was talk, my sisters were saying that um, there was talk about the public schools in Chicago not shutting down because kids depended on cafeteria lunch and, and food mm. there to not starve. And so, you know, there's, there's so many layers to this, but yeah, um, like, but you're speaking theologically, like if communities came together to be a support system for one another, if you know, a families in your neighborhood that is struggling right. and to be a light, you know, that, that is a huge opportunity, but Family. I mean, that word, I mean, that that family has been under such, um, not persecution, but just, you know, just they've been trying to redefine marriage and family mm. and what that looks like. And now we as families, we have an opportunity to, for, on our own terms, to, to, to grab that back into our own um, lives. Right. Yeah, like, This for is sure. what my family will be like for the yeah, next yeah. two weeks. It's like. <laughs> to deal with it, you know. He is, yeah, kind of removed so many things that keep us apart. Yes. And right. it's like, but, but, and, you know, it was deep because they mentioned this in the break point, just how much we have, re- we rely on our scientific and technological Ooh. achievement. Um, mm-hmm. He yeah. said, you know, we, we often feel like we are in control of this world now. Wow. And all this is, it's not, it's not, I think even Lecrae tweeted this out. It's not that we've lost control. It's, it's revealed that we never were really in control. Right, and that can be scary. And I think uh, Stone Street is quoting Blaise Pascal, uh, ironically, in this in this article, and he says, "Man is only a reed, the weakest in nature. Mm. There is no need for the whole universe to take up arms to crush him. Mm. A vapor is enough to kill him." Wow. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, dang, brother Pascal. Um, <laughs> well, they love brother Pascal at all the parties. <laughs> he's a center of attention. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> So I've been caught. <coughs> Wait a minute. I've been on this. Wait a minute. I've, yeah, man. Listen, listen. I, I tell you, I've been coughing for like three weeks, man. Yeah. Um. I, I. And you know how your mind plays tricks on you at night. Oh yeah. Like you're just, you could believe anything. <laughs> exactly. You could believe anything. Like two in the morning. So I was like, this was like I was night five in a row where I was waking <laughs> up just hacking, and I was like, man, for sure, I got the corona. <laughs> I was like, I got this thing. And what's funny is, like, in retrospect, though, we are thinking, like, Nerva caught something in Washington, D.C. when we went there mm-hmm. for the March for Life. Right. And now we're kind of like, hmm, 
you know, because it hit her hard. Like she had the chills, the fever, all that kind of stuff. Temperature, yeah. And then I thought I was doing good, man. I was just skating through. <laughs> I was uh, down for the count. It yep. was awful. And then like a week later, I caught something and it mm-hmm. just had stayed with me. But I feel like I'm on the up and up now. So, but you, but I but you may have to edit my coughs out here. But did you hear this uh, C.S. Lewis thing going around about the atomic bomb? It's my favorite. And, you know, I even showed it to Pastor Greg and he used it in the message yesterday and today because it's it's so prophetic and timely like i don't even know how he it felt so spot on his whole yeah yeah for sure man i mean lewis he's just he he had that ability man he he because he thought so much more broadly like he wasn't i mean in a sense we're all you know captive to our culture but he really i think he said like read you should read dead men and old men because they might make mistakes but they don't make the same mistakes we make but i think just the way he read outside of his own little cultural bubble it really gave him this worldview where he was able to speak to these big things even in advance and kind of timelessly but um i don't know if you had that article pulled up steven if you want to read Just a little bit of that. It's on the breakpoint one. And um, basically, he's talking about the atomic bomb right after it had come out, maybe even after it had been used. And a lot of people are, this article has floated around. It, it was in a uh, Gospel Coalition article, I think, most recently. And just kind of replacing the atomic bomb with coronavirus. But it really gives just a good disposition to approach it. So John Sondry was saying, whenever you hear atomic bomb in this essay, think coronavirus. And so he, he quotes Lewis, says, mm-hmm. We think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb, Lewis begins. To those who wonder how it's possible to go on in the face of such a threat, Lewis recalls that theirs was not the first generation to live under a threatening shadow. In fact, if we're mm-hmm. honest, we all live under a sentence of death, and for some of us, that death could even be unpleasant. The important question, says Lewis, is not whether or how we will die, but if in the meantime, We will be doing sensible and human things like praying, working, reading, listening to music, bathing the children. Lewis asks his readers to consider the important but unsettling truth that nature does not, in the long run, favor life. Mm. It's an ominous observation that points to an essential worldview truth. If nature is all that exists, in other words, if there is no God and no life of some quite different sort somewhere outside of nature, then all stories will end in the same way in a universe from which all life is banished without the hope of return. So how do we respond to this unsettling truth? Lewis saw only three options. The first is suicide, something not uncommon in Britain of the 1940s and 50s. The second, simply to have as good a time as possible. The universe is a universe of nonsense, but since you are here, grab what you can. Of course, as Lewis noted, there is on these terms so very little left to grab, only the coarsest sensual pleasures. Whether we're talking about sex or listening to music, the pleasure is diminished by the knowledge that any enjoyment we might derive are merely illusions, the product of irrational conditioning determined by our genes. The third response, Lewis said, is to go down fighting, to live as if the universe has meaning. We can insist on being rational and merciful even when the universe is not. Of course, if we choose that option, there's no way to actually prevail against the idiocy or idiocy of the universe, it would still win. Our insistence on being rational and merciful has no real justification. The hopelessness of these three options should instead lead us to a different conclusion. We must simply accept, said Lewis, that we are spirits, free and rational beings, at present inhabiting an irrational universe, and must draw the conclusion that we are not derived from it. Mm. In other words, we must reject naturalism and embrace a much earlier view, biblical theism. It's the only grounds on which we can avoid the despair brought on by the knowledge that we are under a sentence of death, whatever form that death takes. Lewis's words are just as relevant today as they were seven decades ago. For people who believe there is a God, doing the sensible and human things are possible because we have hope. For those who don't have the hope, no amount of toilet paper or cans of Spam stacked (laughs) in the garage can make anyone truly safe, much less solve the ultimate question of meaning that haunts us all. Today, as yesterday, the world is still in God's hands. Nothing has changed. Whatever the next chapter of this coronavirus story might be, the same questions remain to us. Will we trust God? And then will we love our neighbors? And finally, how shall we then live? Yeah, man. So that was the article by John Stone Street, but this is the actual quote that C.S. Lewis wrote in his essay on living in an atomic age. Okay. And so this is the words of C.S. Lewis. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, 
Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. So good. Yeah, man. So powerful. And I think some of the implications of that are, you know, clearly like, don't panic. Don't live in fear. Maybe don't, you know, let your mind be occupied all the time by the news cycle and social media. Um, And we'll talk more. We'll we'll draw some more of those at the end. But I think the general disposition there of putting it in the context of history, like, you know, this this stuff, we we tend to think, man, this has never happened to anybody anywhere. When you look back in history, you're like, oh, man, they've had there's been crazy stuff like this going on since the fall, you know. Right. You know, the, the toilet paper thing is like this joke. You know, why is everybody <laughs> buying toilet paper? And I actually saw an article. I tweeted it to. I saw that. It, it's it was, really good. Yeah. It was, so this, uh, a CNBC report explained why. And it was basically this idea that, you know, when we have hurricanes in Florida, people kind of know how to prepare. You know, if the power is mm. going to be out for a long time or, you know, you're going to need water and food, like people know what to buy. But, in this particular case with the coronavirus, it's kind of unexperienced <laughs> before and people don't know how to prepare. Yeah. And for some reason, like toilet paper specifically, <laughs> because it's a relatively cheap item that you can get in a store and it comes in like a large package, you can buy this large thing for not much money and it's giving people a sense of control. Wow. That if they can at least, you know, have this thing in their hands, that they are somehow prepared for something, it gives them a sense of control. And that's really what these reactions are. It's that, you know, we this is an unknown. You know, a hurricane, there's only so many things that can happen and we know it all, you know, power goes out, flooding, wind, you know, trees coming down. It's somewhat predictable, even in the worst case. And it's the fact that people have no idea what, to predict in this case that they're grasping at anything and toilet paper being, I guess the, the cheapest thing they can grasp. Wow. So that's the explanation of the article, huh? That's yeah. very interesting. That's I the best they got. Thinking too, like <laughs> toilet paper of all things. Right. I mean, I know it's important, but I would have thought of way more fun things to stock up on. <laughs> Should we have to be quarantined, yeah. but I get it. I get it, I guess. But do you remember that time we were in um, England and that last terrorist attack had hit? And I remember um, the next morning, this was when one of the, I I guess a truck had ran into the bridge and killed a few people. And then they jumped out the trucks and then began stabbing people in restaurants and things. We happened to be there in a hotel when that took place. But um, I remember the next morning having such fear. And I was like, man, do I do my same routine? Do I stay in all day? And I peeped my head out and went out and it was packed. People were all over the place as if nothing happened. And I remember speaking with one of the um, restaurant workers. He's like, we carry on here. We let nothing stop us. And I was like, wow, what bravery. And so there is this facing and not letting, not bowing down to fear. And then there's a full on like we are on the offense against hatred, against anything that wants to to take our lives away in a sense of just living to the fullness. And I'll never forget this week, I listened to a, a powerful message from Christine Kane. She said, you know, um, life every day is risky. Getting up, going outside, driving down the street, getting on a plane, 
she even said getting married is risky. You just never know what the future holds. But what's even worse than that is regret, not living life to the fullest, not taking advantage of, of moments because of fear, because of things. And not that we're not saying Let's not be wise. That's not what I'm saying. You, you, you wash your hands. You take precautions. But to let fear cripple you to the point where you're not living life at all to the fullest, that's, that's a travesty for sure. Yeah, man. Just before we hop off here, too, there's another kind of angle mm-hmm. we could touch on here. And it's, you know, it's like we talk about sometimes like Sons of Issachar understanding the times. And so often you're like, man, how do we interpret these kinds of events is this you know is this a curse is this from god is it just nature and its outworkings and one of the things you'll um sometimes i think one of the dispositions we live in even in the church today is kind of we we almost fall into like the therapeutic deism model where we just want to you know people to feel good and we don't think of god as interacting much with the natural world and we tend to only think in terms of mechanics and science as though it runs on its own and and God never really interferes. Mm. And especially like you add to that, the the idea that we don't think of God's judgment much these days. And we don't think of him as having that side. It's more about God is good and he's, you know, gracious and he's happy with me and he loves me and he would never do anything bad to, to bring harm. But the the interesting thing when you read the Old Testament, I'm doing the uh, the year through the Bible right now, and I was in Zephaniah yesterday, and I was catching up on Zephaniah and Nahum, and it's like, man, like God ain't to be trifled with, and <laughs> and even uh, you know people have noted in in the Old Testament calamity um, judgment was normative, and it was like God would bring calamity oftentimes to um, bring judgment when the when time of sin had come to its fullness. Um, but it, but you know that it's also a mistake to assume that every time there is something bad that happens, that it is God. And you even see that in the Old Testament with the, with the book of Job. You know, you, you could excuse Job's advisors because, you know, it does look like that. And some people, you know, think Job was the oldest book, so they might not be looking back. But just the idea of, what, of God's interactions with people, it is, there is this interaction of, you know, God brings judgment, God brings judgment, and it looks like this. So they could be excused for thinking because Job had been judged like that that this was God because he had sin in his life. Like you could see what, how they got there. But part of that book is to show us that behind the scenes, we often don't know what's going on. And in this case, it was actually a, like sort of a contest between God and Satan. And he, God was allowing Satan to do this for some greater purpose. And we see, I think, um, I can't remember if it's in a book called Doing Philosophy as a Christian by Garrett Dewey's, but he talks about Hebrew wisdom. I think it's called Hachma or something. But mm-hmm. And the fact that they would take this wisdom literature, the three books, um, Job, uh, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and they would read them in, in a cyclical manner. And Proverbs was giving the generalities, like these are the normal ways that life works. And then Job was given the exception to the rule. And then Ecclesiastes turned everything on its head and it was like looking at a woven rug from the inside out and saying, none of it makes sense. Because mm-hmm. there are times when we face that too. And there's the old prophets where you would think like, man, if it's bad, it's God's judgment. And if, if you're blessed, it's, God, it's, it's God's favor. But often you would hear the, the psalmist or the prophets even say, why are the wicked prospering? Mm-hmm. That it wouldn't make sense because it didn't fall in sure. line with the general rule. But what that, what that basically tells us is it, it is a mistake to say that God wouldn't or couldn't do something like the coronavirus. Wow. Um, because that actually fits in line with what we see as the norm in the Old Testament. And even really in the New Testament, you see it in, in the book of Revelation, where God is pouring out his wrath. Uh, you see it with Ananias and Sapphira at the, the beginning of the church. And, um, and you see even, you know, situations, you know, Paul saying, don't eat and drink on uh, communion because if you do this in an unworthy manner, God's going to bring judgment. So you see that, but you also see the disciples asking, why was this guy blind? Did he sure. sin or his parents? And Jesus is like, well, neither one. So you have right. to, you have to stay in this tension. Like 
understanding that it is perfectly within God's character to bring judgment and sometimes at massive scales, but at the same time, understanding that sometimes it is just the natural outworking of the fall. Sometimes it's demonic and sometimes it's God. We just many times don't know what it is unless you have a prophetic word. And that's what we had in the Old Testament often was that prophetic insight to give, what is this? Well, this is God. And why is this? This is because you've been doing such and such. And the question is, you know, if you're a cessationist now, you would say, well, we never have that. But if you're not, which we, we don't take that viewpoint here, you would be at least open to to say, man, is there a prophetic word for this time that's given a reading on these things? And I honestly, there hasn't been much that I've heard from the prophetic community regarding this particular virus. And so, you know, at this point, again, it's like we're sort of at a loss. But I do want to jump into this Michael Brown article and end with that. And he talks about there, there has been this recent prophecy by this guy named Sean Boltz. And he's kind of well-known in those circles. There have been a couple others as well that I'll briefly mention, but will you read through this a little bit? Sure, okay. This is called the Coronavirus, From Prophecy to Conspiracy, Theory (coughs) to Pragmatism. What are we to make of the coronavirus? Is it true that God has spoken through modern-day prophets who have declared the virus will be short-lived? Should we believe the theorists who claim the virus is a man-made weapon? And on a practical level, do we follow the hyper caution of Israel's Netanyahu or the more laid back approach of President Trump? And by the way, this article was written on March 11th, which is four days ago. Since then, Trump has actually leaned more into the caution side as well. But at the time, he hadn't done the state of the uh, he hadn't done the uh, address to the nation or anything like that. Pastor Bowles (laughs) prophecy. As far as prophecies go, Pastor Sean Bowles posted this on March 3rd. The Lord showed me the end of the coronavirus. The tide is turning now. He is answering the prayers and the cries of the nation and is putting an end in sight. The exaggerated fear-based tactics of both the enemy and several media outlets for political reason is coming to an end. The enemy has been trying to distract and steal from several quality important purposes and issues by dominating airwaves with conspiracy and fear. Even now, several vaccines are now coming out, as well as a natural dying out of the virus itself. The Lord is saying, I am removing the threat of this. Within a short amount of time, the extreme threat will feel like it is in the way past. As of this writing, there is no... That's the end of the... That's the end of his prophecy. Okay. As of this writing, there is no end in sight to the virus, although it is allegedly, allegedly under control in countries like South Korea and China. So if this prophecy is to prove true, there will need to be a very quick turnaround. Yeah, and so that's one of the things. Uh, yeah, I put up a video from... I shared a video from Michael Brown just... I think this was from two days ago on Facebook. And so if you're... On my Facebook, you can go back and look and watch that as well. It's like a 45-minute thing where he talks about this a little bit more. What do you do if it turns out that Sean Bolts missed it? Yeah. And um, But what are we looking for in order to verify? Because, you know, we, we talked about this with the Mountain Prophet episodes. Yeah. I'd encourage you to go back to listen to those if you didn't. But we talked about the need to test prophecy and hold on to that, which is good. But yeah, so he, you know, he kind of goes on. He talks about, we won't read the whole article here, but... He talks about various conspiracy theories that have been put forth, like the Jews were behind the coronavirus was one that he had, he dealt with. He said, was it created by China? That seems to be a plausible theory that a lot of people are holding to um, that come out in their Wuhan labs, I guess. Um, but but again, we don't maybe have enough to say for sure what's going on there yet. Um, but if you want to jump ahead, babe, to that the pragmatic solution... On March 10th, I posted this poll on Twitter. Prime Minister Netanyahu Netanyahu is treating the coronavirus as a serious pandemic, while President Trump is comparing it to the average flu. Who do you think is right? According to Netanyahu, this is a pandemic, because of which he has ordered that everyone arriving in Israel from any country must be quarantined for 14 days. In contrast, Trump tweeted on March 9th, The fake news media and their partner, the Democratic Party, is doing everything within its semi-considerate power to inflame the coronavirus situation far beyond what the facts would warrant. Surgeon General 
comma, the risk is low to the average American. How did my Twitter followers respond? Of the four choices I offered, 14.3% answered with don't know, 24.3% agreed with Netanyahu, 26.7% agreed with Trump, and 34.8% chose they're both half right. <laughs> How then do we sort this out? Mm. A group of experts in Australia predicted that even the best case scenario is 15 million dead and a 2.4 trillion hit to the global GDP. Yes, that was the best case scenario. According to Michael Mina, an epidemiologist at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health, it's the most daunting virus that we've contended with in half a century or more. At the same time, other researchers are claiming that the virus is not as deadly as previously reported. Much more deadly than the common flu, for sure, but not as deadly as the WHO has claimed. Yeah, and that's kind of what we discussed earlier, the two sides. He links here to a Time magazine article, or Time, yeah, online Time article, and they were much more cautious on their conclusions. Were like, ah, it's not as big. It's more like, more closer to the flu Mm -hmm. than a pandemic, that kind of deal. Okay. Um, So let's, let's, yeah, let's go to uh, No Need to Panic. No Need to Panic. First, there's no reason for panic. Caution, yes. Panic, no. Let's remember that the media, by nature, can be sensationalist. That means that coverage of the coronavirus will also be sensationalistic. (laughs) So analyze the reporting with your head and not just with your heart. Then make wise decisions, especially based on your health. You can be cautious and practical without being in a panic. Second, for followers of Jesus, there's no room for fear. If we truly have God as our father and are right in relationship with him, we need only fear him in a holy reverential way. We need not fear sudden disaster or wasting disease. He is our shield and our strength. Our lives are in his hands and we trust him, whatever comes our way. Plus, the greatest antidote to fear is a healthy Bible-based faith. At times like this, it is good to build our faith with passages like Psalm 91. Yep, and he ends with a little section called Mm -hmm. This is Our Time. He says, Third, let's not only think of ourselves, let's think of others too. As stated in an open letter by Akos Balag, the CEO of the Gospel Coalition Australia, quote, the truth is we don't know for sure. And so as a society, we are increasingly anxious, anxious for our loved ones, anxious for ourselves. Mm. It's a time of fear. But whatever happens, dear Christians, know this. This is our time. I want you to like, you know, just feel that for a second. This is our time. God has raised us up for such a time as this. It's no accident you are here. This is our time to think not about ourselves, but about our neighbors, many of whom are scared and will only grow more so as the virus spreads. Let's use this opportunity to bring words of faith to others, to encourage them to put their trust in the Lord and to let our friends and co-workers and neighbors know Mm -hmm. no matter what happens in this world, we can enjoy eternal life in the presence of God. Fourth, keep praying for divine intervention for a speedy end to this virus and for millions of people to turn to him. And that point is actually cool because this article came out after that uh, President Trump, I think it was two days ago or a couple of days ago, declared uh, today as a national day of prayer. And that's only happened. What, what's interesting about that is another kind of prophet guy, you know, again, not can't vouch for everything he says all the time, but uh, Steve Ciccolanti, uh, Asian guy, I think he's Thai, a pastor in Australia. He had recently written this book called Trump's Unfinished Business, and I actually was already reading through it just out of curiosity. It got some really good stuff in it, but one of the chapters, he was he actually was discussing this very thing about past presidents who had called for days of prayer, fasting, and repentance. He said it had only happened 10 times in history, and he named the different presidents and what was going on in the U.S. during the time and how it acted as a turning point. And he even has went on record saying if Trump does that, the the virus is going to turn around quickly. And he most recently, after, after he did that and declared it, he came back on YouTube and said when he does this, he he, he prophesied the next thing to happen would be that they would put the whole U.S. on lockdown for three weeks. The virus would basically wash out and 
people would attribute it to that lockdown, but it would really be God's response to this call to National Day of Prayer. So again, same thing with Sean Bolts. It's like we're we're just it's interesting to hear, and we'll take a look at it and test it out, see if it happens. If it does, wow, that's cool. You know that 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 God would do that, and that He would give us that insight, but. I think the broader point that we talked about, the C.S. Lewis article gives us a good disposition. Uh, this Michael Brown article reminds us, like, how do we lean in? We were chosen yeah. for such a time as this to be here. Uh, we don't we don't panic. We use wisdom, but we lean into faith and yeah. say, man, this could be the way that God is bringing around this next awakening or this next revival. And how can we be creative in this season? How can we pray into it? We talked about this at church today. Yeah. Going Instead of going on a Netflix binge, go on a Bible binge. You know, catch up on your reading. Let's do some. Let's let's intensify our prayer time because this is like it, it's a real time crisis. Whether whether yeah, it's real and like has I've been, or whether it's kind of you know been overhyped. Either way, it has done things that we've never seen around the world as far as shutting things down, and it's given us the opportunity to minister to our neighbor, to to stand in faith, to stand in confidence, to lean into prayer, and to and to really think about spiritual things, to think about things of the family. And to really ask God for more of his presence, more of his spirit to allow us to accomplish something in this really unique time we're living in. And so I just want to encourage you guys with that today um, as we're still waiting to see how this stuff unfolds. Let's lean into that prayer. Let's lean into being available um, to, to God's works and his purposes in our lives. Amen. So good. Well, listeners, don't panic. <laughs> do Pray, take precautions, and yeah. you know, we'll be with you in uh, future episodes. But you can always tweet at us and comment on our Instagram. We'd love to interact with you there at Freemind FM. You can comment on our Facebook page, Freemind Podcast FM, there. And you can even email us, podcast at freemind.fm, for feedback, recommendations, suggestions on what you'd like to hear on future episodes. And if you haven't gotten a chance yet, please do give us a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. If you're on that Android tip, you can go to Windows and get that <laughs> iTunes download. Give us a five-star rating in there. Or you can take that Android and throw it in the garbage disposal. Amen. Come on, somebody. <laughs> don't. Try not to say, but, but we'd appreciate oh, that my, too. My. So we're praying for you all, Please. and uh, we look forward to talking so to you next week. Come on, come on. Maybe millions of people Come on, come on. Don't buy